0: St. Jerome, the father of the Latin church said, marriage is good for those who are afraid to sleep alone at night, but is it really? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Dr. Wendy Troxel. Dr. Troxel is a clinical health psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Psychiatry. She has received several awards and honors for her research from the University of Pittsburgh and from international scientific societies. Her work is focused on the link between relationship quality and sleep. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Dr. Troxel. what do we know about the impact of sleep problems on a couple's relationship?
1: Most of what we know about the impact of sleep problems on couples' relationship functioning concerns sleep apnea patients and their spouses. And generally speaking, this literature does show a significant effect of a partner's sleep apnea on the quality of the relationship. And there's also at least one study showing that relationship functioning improved after successful treatment of sleep apnea with positive airway pressure. What's interesting is that we know very little about any other sleep disorder and its impact on relationships. For instance, I'm aware of no study that's investigated the influence of insomnia symptoms on relationship quality, but there's a lot of reasons to predict that insomnia would negatively influence relationships as well.
0: Now, what does the literature say on the effect of a couple's relationship on their sleep?
1: Again, there's much less literature in this area. But what's out there does suggest that there's an association, um, most of these are cross-sectional studies, between the quality of one's close relationship, so higher quality relationships, whether that's measured as marital happiness or marital harmony, and sometimes these are single-item measures, so they're kind of broad strokes measures of relationship quality. Higher levels of relationship quality are associated with lower levels of sleep problems. There's also one prospective study showing that higher marital happiness is associated with lesser risk of developing uh, insomnia symptoms three years later in a sample of women.
0: Now, does the interplay between relationship and sleep affect our physiological pathways?
1: Well, this is a question we posed in a review paper we wrote uh, for Sleep Medicine Reviews as part of a model that would link relationships with sleep. And what's out there in the literature does suggest that We know that both relationship functioning and sleep are individually associated with various physiological pathways, and here I'm talking about um, the HPA axis, autonomic pathways, inflammatory pathways, and other hormones, other stress hormones. Uh, So for instance, there's some research showing that poor marital functioning contributes to dysregulation of the HPA axis, so hormones such as cortisol. There's also a good deal of literature from the insomnia research showing that cortisol dysregulation may be implicated in the etiology of insomnia. So it does suggest that both relationships and sleep are individually associated with HPA functioning. We don't know whether HPA functioning actually serves as a link between relationship functioning and sleep, though it seems plausible Similarly, for autonomic system regulation, couples who are higher in conflict tend to have greater sympathetic activity, particularly during marital conflicts. And it's possible that this kind of conflict and sympathetic arousal during the day would persist into the night with the possible consequence of disrupting sleep but this has not been investigated yet, and it's certainly an area that needs to be. And uh, as well for inflammatory markers such as interleukin-6, there is research primarily from uh, Jan Kiko-Glazer and colleagues at Ohio State showing that unhappy relationships contribute to elevated inflammatory cytokines, and similarly these same inflammatory cytokines such as IL-6 are also implicated in sleep and sleepiness. So it suggests that these are common shared pathways between both sleep and relationship problems, but there really aren't studies out there yet linking all three together. So it's an area that is very important for future research.
0: And what do we know about the impact of hormones or relationship impact on hormones?
1: Well, this is really speculative, but there is research out there suggesting that particularly the neuropeptide oxytocin, which is primarily thought of in relationship to lactating women, and in stimulating contractions during childbirth, but it's actually produced by both men and women. It's kind of considered sort of the pair bonding or social hormone. It's shown to be stimulated in animals when they're during pair bonding activities or during grooming and types of activities in rodents. And it's also stimulated in in humans during intimate moments by massage, by sexual intercourse. And it has both attenuating effects on cardiovascular system Responses and can have anxiolytic effects in uh, animal models as well. So it suggests that this neuropeptide oxytocin may actually be a mediator linking healthier relationships with better sleep because if healthier relationships are associated with more intimacy, more closeness, greater support in the relationship, that may stimulate greater oxytocin release, which may have at least some relaxing properties, at least in the cardiovascular system. Whether or not it actually promotes sleep is, is really not that clearly understood yet in, in humans, but it's plausible. Now,
0: do men have oxytocin
1: as well? They do. They do. Again, it's not as recognized as in females because it's most well-known for its role in lactation and during childbirth. But men also produce uh, oxytocin, though not in great quantities.
0: Well, certainly, I was always taught in my own personal experience is that oxytocin is nature's valium, so you would think it would improve sleep.
1: It seems very obvious to me. Yeah, I think we need to do some good um, animal model studies first. But it does seem quite plausible, and there's some research um, by Shelley Taylor and colleagues who really promoted this idea of oxytocin being kind of the neural substrate that would explain why social relationships are health protective, and particularly in women, that it's this sort of tend and befriend model, that women tend to have more relationships, and their relationships tend to be quite more important in their lives, and that it's this tendency to seek relationships, particularly times of stress, that it's health protective, and it may be health protective by its effects, On oxytocin.
0: Now, Wendy, are there risk factors that may worsen the effect of relationships on sleep?
1: Yes, I believe there are quite a few vulnerability factors that would moderate the effect of relationships on sleep or vice versa sleep on relationships. For instance, if you think of certain personality characteristics such as a hostile personality or certainly pre existing psychiatric conditions, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, any other types of significant stressful life events gender, um, and socioeconomic status or occupational factors are kind of the key vulnerability factors that we've emphasized in our model as being likely moderators. So if you take one of these, uh, let's say socioeconomic status, think about couples who have greater financial and social resources, they may be more able to kind of flexibly adapt to issues that arise in the marital bed because in part they have the material resources to cope with it. So you know, your partner is snoring or stealing all the covers and that is adversely affecting your relationship, they may have the option to sleep in another bed or to purchase, you know, one of these fancy units that has kind of differing uh, comfort settings. But on the other hand, couples that don't have those kind of resources may be at increased risk for sleep problems as well as relationship problems because of the increased stress of living in overcrowded or stressful neighborhoods and because they may lack the material resources to have those additional things to help you cope with what's going on in the marital bed. So they may not have a separate bedroom that one of the partners can go to. They may not be able to purchase a more expensive bed that would help them adapt to this more effectively.
0: How can we use what you've learned in your research to better help our patients sleep?
1: I think the first thing is to ask about relationship quality in the diagnosis of sleep disorders. This is really important because not only may it yield important information about the etiology of the sleep disorder, but it may actually be a really important motivating factor to encourage your patients to adhere to the treatment that you prescribe as well. Partners are a very powerful source of social control. They can really be the great enforcer, particularly when it comes to something that's affecting their sleep as well. So really kind of assessing how is this affecting your relationship how is this affecting your partner, the fact that you're snoring but you don't want to get treatment? Do you think, you know, your partner may have something to say about that? And certainly for the diagnosis of some sleep disorders like sleep apnea, you often need that corroborating evidence from the spouse to say, well, he may not know that he snores or she may not know that she snores, but the partner can tell you, in fact, what they do or that they're gasping for air. I think you can also encourage your patients, if it comes up in the evaluation, that the partner's sleep schedule or sleep habits adversely affecting patient and your patient's sleep, I think encouraging your patient to have a healthy conversation and an open conversation with their partner about options that they may have for sleeping apart for, you know, maybe a few nights a week or finding some flexible alternative, that it doesn't have to be this major stigma attached to the marital bed equals marital happiness because that's not always true in fact by sleeping in the same bed together when it's when you're simply not compatible you may be actually doing more harm to your marriage so i think that that's kind of a refreshing approach for a clinician to be willing to open that topic for a patient because People have a lot of beliefs about the marital bed, and it's time that we kind of expose those beliefs and really challenge whether they're working in our patients' lives. Thinking about sleep hygiene recommendations that we typically just prescribe to our patients, they don't take into consideration the spouse. And again, thinking about both as far as the sleep environment, who's involved and how is the sleep environment, including the partner's sleep habits, how is that influencing your patient's sleep habits, and also thinking about Whatever types of sleep hygiene recommendations that you prescribe, how is that going to work in your patient's relationship? I think helping your patient problem solve, let's say he or she is a shift worker or he or she has a spouse that's a shift worker and is working nights, you may kind of need to really help the patient think that one through instead of just giving a blanket prescription that as if sleep hygiene is just an individual kind of recommendation.
0: Wendy, what is the future of your research?
1: Well, my hope for my future research, and this is pending funding, of course, is, yeah, <laughs> isn't everything systematically as it always is. Uh, I, I want to systematically investigate this dynamic model that we wrote about in Sleep Medicine Reviews, linking relationships with sleep and with some of these physiological pathways. Now, currently, I am working on a pilot study that's funded by the uh, Pittsburgh Mind Body Center, and in which I'm actually just in the recruitment stage of recruiting a sample of married couples. And I'm going to have both members of the couple wear these actograph watches, which provide this non-invasive, pretty simple measure of sleep. And they're going to wear that for 10 days, and I'm going to have them uh, report on their daily marital interactions for that 10-day period so I can start to look at the kind of day-to-day interaction or interplay between marital behaviors and sleep. And then I'll also be collecting some physiological data on um, their blood pressure Uh, on a 24-hour basis, so they'll be wearing ambulatory blood pressure measures so I can monitor their blood pressure during the daytime while they're interacting with the spouse, as well as um, their nocturnal blood pressure while they're sleeping next to the spouse. Hopefully we'll have some interesting things to report.
0: We've been discussing relationships and sleep with expert Dr. Wendy Troxel. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.